Happy New Year. Welcome to Made in Asia, the podcast about entrepreneurs and creators in the experience and transformation economies in Asia. Today, our guest is Tamsin Nugent, the founder of Red Tea Group and Red Tea Multiples, an art consultant based in Hong Kong. Tamsin has always gone her own path. Over her career, she has opened art galleries, created sustainability concepts, and also never stops to innovate. Tamsin lived in Beijing for many years, uh, starting in the early 2000s, and has witnessed the emergence of the local art scene there. In addition, she was involved in the music business and has finally settled back to Hong Kong in the art consultancy space. Today, we'll be talking to Tamsin about her time in Beijing, how she set up her own business and had to close it, unfortunately, and also some of her more recent ventures, how she embraces sustainability, what makes an experience in the art space, and why much she does is so much focused about the benefit for the artist. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Made in Asia, the podcast about entrepreneurs and creators in the experience and transformation economies in Asia. Today, I'm very blessed here uh, in Bel Air, uh, Hong Kong Island, with Tamsin Nugent, our second Nugent on the show. Crazy. Um, an art consultant, a former art gallery owner, also a sustainability champion and a relentless innovator, I might dare call you. <laughs> Thank you. I made that up. Um, but it's probably true. And you're an achiever of your own dreams. Yes, on the way. On the way. Yes. Aren't we all? Uh -huh. right? uh, that's a good start. So 2021, uh, so far an interesting year, I guess. How, how has the pandemic and all that been for you or, or the art scene in general? As an art consultant, uh, you probably have more insights into that space. So we hear about the food and beverage scene. Uh, previous guests on the show talked about that. How is it in the art scene? How is, how is COVID and pandemic level uh, impacting that space? Well, I must say, is in terms of the whole art scene, I I can't I can't speak for everybody because I have been a little bit on the periphery for a while now. Um, my business is very much interested in uh, the online uh, world for art, right. and also the world of innovation for art, which is um, definitely on the periphery of the art scene at mm. large. And so, for us last year, um, it was an opportunity to really get creative with what we have already created, which is an online platform for customization of fine art. Um, and what that showed me was that people aren't really there yet. Everybody's looking online to buy art. And so I would imagine uh, lots of online e-commerce sites have done quite well. I think the gallery scene has struggled because a lot of galleries don't have a great online presence. Mm. And so that's been a bit tricky. Yet really established galleries with great client bases, they're probably ticking along just fine. But for us, I really noticed um, getting a message out there to ask people to do something a bit differently was harder at the beginning of the year than at the end of the year. The consumer adapted and, and figured out. There's a mind shift change. Okay. And certainly when we're talking about B2B for us, uh, I was going to the interior design hospitality with a quite unique proposition hmm. uh, with what we deliver. And at the end of the year, we got a lot more interest. Okay. And so, so that's been quite exciting. Okay. That's a promising uh, review on 2020. Not everybody has that perspective, I guess. No. But uh, we also should add that Tamsin has been on the BBC before. So we were humbled, very humbled by a 
aspiring professional at the time, I guess you were interning. It was a long time ago. I was long an intern, time ago. Yeah. Well, we all did things long time ago. <laughs> so, um, but let's talk about you were in Beijing um, at a very exciting time uh, back then. You moved there in 2004, right? Yes. So, how did um, that? Why did you move to Beijing first of all, and uh, what uh, what did you learn about the uh, the art scene at the time? Well, I actually started going to Beijing around 2000 because I studied Chinese at university. Right. And so I was there for a whole year, uh, 2000 to 2001. It actually ended up being about 14 months because I couldn't leave. I loved it so much. Um, so at that time, uh, alternative music was my was my big thing. Mm. And so when I hit the ground in Beijing as a student, I just found the alternative music venues. And at that time, in the student area, that it was largely punk. Um, a bit of alternative Not a bad rock. choice, is it? <laughs> well, it didn't sound great, but the scene was so vibrant and exciting that I was hooked. And every opportunity I got, I'd be at some illegal venue down a back alley listening to some crazy Chinese kid shouting, you know, profanities about political issues. And I was just absorbed. Mm. And so that was basically um, the hotbed of activity and creativity that I was, I was participating in all the time. And from that scene, I met artists and poets and writers, and I, that was just like my happy place. Okay. So then when I graduated university, I moved straight back to Beijing with the intention of starting a business that would expose this cool, creative energy in Beijing that I thought the West didn't really know about. Mm. So my friends and family thought, oh, Beijing, that's kung fu and chicken and cashew nuts okay which to me it just absolutely wasn't it was punk gigs. Really <laughs> exactly. it was punk gigs yeah. and contemporary art so in 2000 you were then so so where do you get into the setting up your own business where did that drive come from i knew i wanted to start my own business okay and i started looking in the music area i started thinking um i want to promote music uh, get bands over to China from the West and send Chinese bands over to the East. But it was a bit of a non-starter because no one was really interested in doing that. Okay. And also bootlegging meant that there was no music to be made in the sale of music. Mm. So at a gig, I actually met somebody who who was interested in buying a piece of contemporary Chinese art because it was it was becoming uh, quite a sort of hot commodity at this the time. This was 798. 798. Was that going already? Or? Uh, it was in the very early days. Okay. No one really knew where it was. We were going to some parties there every now and then. Hmm. But, it, you know, you'd be calling your friends at the party going, where? where do, I, I'm here. I can't really see much. You know, I'm at this sign that says this, turn left or right. You know, we'd be yeah. kind of guided down these alleyways. So um, at a gig, I met uh, somebody who wanted some contemporary Chinese art. And I said, I can do that for you. And I introduced them to some artists and some artwork, mm. sold a painting and thought, that's a business model I can okay. work with. Did you get like a kick out of it when you closed that first? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Of course. So the entrepreneur was uh, aff affirmation, affirm yeah. affirmation, affirmed, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it was alive and well. Okay. And um, so, so I read that you were in a Swedish jazz Festival. What is so special about Swedish Swedish jazz? Swedish jazz. I actually um, helped organize the first Swedish okay. jazz festival in um, in Beijing. Is it different from an American jazz festival, or a... uh, I wouldn't say so. Except all of the musicians are Swedish. Ah, that's a criteria. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it was as simple as that. Uh, this was actually before I started my business. I thought I should probably get some experience, mm. and um, because my interest had taken me to uh, the music scene, there was a monthly event called An Ear to the Ground. And I'd be at that every single month. It was sponsored okay. by Volkswagen and it had three or four local bands just up on stage doing their thing. Um, 
the organizers of that, I decided to kind of sniff out and say, hey, I want to work for you because I want to do this gig. And they said, okay. So I ended up working for them. But my day job was really um, pitching events to car brands. Okay. And so I got quite a lot of, um, you know, PowerPoint experience through that. And then the Swedish Jazz Festival came to that company to say, we'd like to come to China. Mm. Can you run it for us? And they said, yes, put me on it. And I said, great, but can I do it as my brand under my company Mm. and still get paid the same? And they said, okay. And that was the launch of Red Tea. Sometimes you just have to be daring and asking the (laughs) right questions at the right time, right? (laughs) Wow. So that's a good start. And then Mm. then you ran with it and organize more gigs Uh, well after that i realized that um, unless i had some serious backing and other funding uh, a gallery was the best way to go so that was the launch and a bit of the pocket money that that i could put into uh getting our our gallery set up and we took the last vacant lot in 798 in 2005 and you were surrounded by other local art galleries or was an international scene what was the mix it was largely local there were a few international kind of uh front runners Mm. but mostly mostly local and also quite uh established i'd say you'd go into lots of the galleries that were already there and i wouldn't whilst it was very welcoming and it was you know great to see the art on the walls the price points weren't sort of accessible for somebody like me and Mm. so that's where i decided my my market was going to be a much more accessible affordable price point and more emerging artists okay and and overall, was it emerging artists in, in 798 or was it uh, also mostly established and then there was a couple of green shoots, so to speak? Well, it depends. It depends who you are, really. Okay. I suppose uh, if you knew about the Chinese contemporary art scene, you'd probably think it was quite an established hmm. uh, roster of artists amongst the galleries. Right. But for a newcomer or a tourist to China, it would have been all, all brand new. Right. Yeah. Are you still keeping dabs on what's going on up there? I mean, uh, in the... China, mainland art scene? Uh, yeah, a little bit, mainly okay. through auctions and my existing network there. Yep. I get sent a lot of artworks by artists that I might be interested in. So in that respect, yes, but I wouldn't say I'm proactively researching all the time because right. I've got a bit else going on. Yeah, so so I heard, so I heard uh, making podcasts or yeah. being on podcasts is obviously <laughs> one thing. Okay, so what does it take to run an art gallery? I mean, uh, you, you kind of seem to be a bootstrap sort of uh, let's let's get it done but uh, how do you learn or what how did you learn how to run an art gallery by doing okay i i had no experience running a gallery before i opened my own and i took a lot of advice um i applied a lot of logic and i thought about business models a lot hmm. and i don't i don't think i used other galleries as um as a sort of inspiration for how i would run my own i didn't speak to a single gallery owner before i opened my gallery okay i just decided that to keep price points low commissions can't be too high or Mm. um you know the the artist price of works can't be too high and that we were going to uh offer something quite unique to the public which is you know the ability to get involved in something that maybe other other people don't know about which all evolved into an art fair because I was programming my gallery through my own taste and uh, what people told me they liked. Also keeping an eye on what's happening in the market. So if a certain type of art was was getting quite hot, I might go and find an artist that wasn't known yet mm. in a similar, in a similar um, ilk. But we also needed to keep our great tabs on 
skill, technique, talent, because you don't want to just put anything on your walls. And uh, then I had this idea of having an annual fair. So we would just get as many applications from as many artists as, as we could find. And we'd put 90% of them up on the walls once a year, have a 10% commission, which could keep the price super low and see what the market did. And then I could program some of the gallery from that. Okay. And because I knew I couldn't uh, compete with the with the big dogs and I didn't even want to try, I thought my business model would be a platform, a stepping stone. So any artist we show, we have done our job and we can pat ourselves on the back if that, ga- if that artist then gets a bigger named, more international gallery. But I would have a little... Um, collection quite of a disruptor it of will. your own right yeah you hopefully kind of... but you know if i had some of their work in my collection then by virtue of um the asset i can do well from from their success with other galleries mm. and the artist would stick with you or is it sort of a one-off uh, arrangement how does it work well it, i mean it depend it depended on their other opportunities i'd mm. never hold them back from doing other other um exhibitions with other galleries some some artists we did a few shows we only had two and a half years of the gallery, uh, three years of the gallery before it was demolished anyway. So, you know, we didn't have the chance to have a lot of artists come back for a second or third exhibition because oh. um, we had quite a busy roster. That was 798 that got demolished, right? It was just three galleries in 798 that, de- that oh. got demolished. You guys, we don't like. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. It was geographical. We were in the wrong place hmm. at the right time. Okay. Well, mm. you had a you had a good time up there, right? So Yeah, we did. Okay. And and so how did you meander into this art consultant business? Is that with your experience as a gallery owner and, and, and manager, you thought, let's see what else is out there or? Well, I think part of, part of your role as a, um, as a, as a gallerist is it's selling art. And so an art consultant is selling art without the four walls around them. Hmm. And without, I, I would say without any particular obligation to any artist because you're not representing any in any exclusive level Mm. so you have um the sort of art world at your fingertips you're you're able to bring in artists that are represented by another gallery and present them to a client and so that was a sort of natural uh next step next step for me especially while i didn't have the four walls of my gallery and i was still figuring out what to do but then i met ben brown who is a very significant figure in the art world Mm. and has an incredible gallery originally in London, well, still in London, but he wanted to open in Hong Kong. And we got on really well. And I, I ended up um, sort of, I'd say, fixing for him and the artist Vic Muniz around their China tour of um, Beijing, Shanghai and Guangzhou. And at the end of that trip, Ben said to me, do you want to open Ben Brown Fine Arts Hong Kong? Yeah. And I said, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take you long to. Well, I, I made it seem like it did okay. wow so that's um that's a great another experience where was the gallery located so we were the first uh gallery to open in peta building because ben had uh realized early on that the ceiling heights are really high in peta building mm. and it's so super central you could really appeal to the type of client that we needed to be coming through the door so it was a perfect location mm. and uh that opened in i think 2009 um in hong kong yeah. yeah, and then you had Art Basel that came in, I think, 2011, 12, something like that. Or 10. 10. Yeah, it was, sorry, it was Art Hong Kong originally, and right. then it cha- changed to Art Basel. So we were there for that whole kind of rise. And the gallery was designed by Andre Fu, mm. 
uh, and opened just before Upper House, which Andre Fu opened. So it was all, it was a great time to be here as well. Yeah, very popular now. Andre Fu designing a lot of hotels. I think his latest was. Um, There's oh, a St. Regis a f- here in Hong Kong. Yes, yeah, yes, beautiful. Regis, absolutely mm. great work. Uh, you work with him at all? I did for the on, with the gallery. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but that's yeah. since then. That's Andre, it. if you're listening, go call back Tamsin. Yes, got some <laughs> art for you. <laughs> right. So, so now you've obviously you fast forward ten years. Um, you set up or expanded uh, Red Tea Group. Is yeah, it? Yes. Um, that it was called Red Tea already when you were in Beijing, right? Yes. And so now you're art consultant and you're focusing on B2B relations. Yeah. So uh, fast forward ten years, there were a few other. Well, there was one other. Um, job in there and then I missed being my own boss mm. and to, to go back to the consulting I you know I could always be a consultant on the side and in the background and so I kind of had that going and revived it a little bit you know selling art to people who wanted it basically and then uh, five years ago when we moved back from Australia back to Hong Kong I knew I wanted to really revive red tea mm. which had never died it had just gone quiet Uh, but I didn't want to do it in a way that already existed. People already, you know, knew knew about. I wanted to properly innovate, and what that means in in art, I still think is under definition, because um, and as far as the gallery world is concerned, or even auctions, putting art online has been part of a necessary and natural process. But I don't see that as innovation. You're still buying a piece that you see on the internet instead of in four walls. Right. And then I did a, a commercial project and realized that the the process of a commission and then deriving prints from that commission is so full of gray area that doesn't really need to be there. Hmm. And I just thought about how technology can improve that and came up with the idea of red tea multiples, which now fits under the red tea group brand and is the, the product and the business I am 100% driving at the moment. Okay. And that's where I would say the excitement and the innovation is. Okay. So it's a new platform, so to speak, uh, that competes with traditional art consultants in a way. Well, on the contrary, I'd, I'd like to make their life easier. Okay. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, there's commentary that I picked up from my network in design, interior design and architecture. It's very obscure what an art consultant does at times, right? Mm. And, how do they price everything? It's it's very difficult sometimes to engage with art consultants unless obviously you're dealing with Red Tea Group. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you need the, tra- the transparency piece. Yeah. I mean, the art world is inherently, it's, it's very opaque. Hmm. So, so what does multiples do to kind of help make it less opaque? We, we buy original artworks. And so the artist gets a sale of an original. I buy these artworks with the customer in mind. So we have a lot of abstract work because that's quite uh, attractive to designers and, and large scale projects because you don't need to be kind of thinking about where the eyes of the face are going to go. Oh. You know, figurative is quite difficult to work out in these uh, design led decisions. And these artworks that we buy in our collection are digitized and made available through our online gallery. They're also licensed. So as a user, a designer, a person who's interested in art, you can click on any of the artworks that appeal to you and crop a section Mm -hmm. to extract your own unique version of it. And particularly for design, you can put your specific dimensions in there. So if you've got a tricky space 
or uh, you want something oversized, you can put those specific dimensions in there and then we create the print made to order mm. exactly to your specifications. Okay. And so it misses out the, the back and forth with an artist, which is often an awkward conversation. We love what you do. But we just needed we didn't need a bit more pink over there, a bit more blue over there. And that's not a conversation anybody likes to have. Mm. I never really like to have that because I feel like I'm compromising the artist's integrity. We love what you do, but could you do it differently? And generally, they say yes because they want the money. Totally fair enough. Most mm. of us do in business. But in this situation, they don't have to. They can say, go on to Red Team Multiples and do it yourself. So no one needs to have that awkward conversation. No one needs to spend the time. And immediately in real time, you can crop that bit that you want and create the exact piece that you need across uh, at volume. So right. you can actually do 80 if you need them or 99. We have a cap of 100 editions um, on the website. But uh, we also just worked with the Swire Hotel here in Hong Kong, and we did 336 editions, wow. but we commissioned the original. So that whole original and all the prints are entirely exclusively Swire properties. Swire properties. Mm -hmm. And so your website, uh, Red Tea Group? RedTeamultiples.com Red is this concept. Okay, yeah. to see if anybody wants to check it out, RedTeamultiples.com for... Yes. Uh, how many pieces you have up there now? 20? We currently have 55, 55. originals on the website. Um, it's constantly evolving. Mm. And all of them are available to crop and create unique pr prints of. Okay. Um, and if you're an artist, I mean, anybody who's listening as an artist wants to get on there, they just reach out to you. And absolutely. Reach out to me and uh, show, me, show me examples of what you've got. And uh, we'll start a conversation. All right. And while we're dropping handles, also on uh, Instagram, obviously, you shouldn't miss out. Uh, oh, yes. Red Tea. Red Tea Multiples. Red Tea Multiples. multiples. Okay. Uh, and there's Red Tea Group as well, I think, right? Red Tea Group is the umbrella company. So that's where you can read about consultancy and um, some other projects that we've got going. Okay. Mm. So that's exciting. How did you set up the website for Red Tea Multiples? I mean, it's technology heavy, right? Yeah. How did you, what steps did you have to take and how difficult was it altogether? Uh, this was, uh, it's a bit of a sensitive topic. Okay. Well, it was we not. Skeletons. <laughs> it was not a pleasant experience. The concept is so clear in my mind um, that my major frustration was that I don't know coding. Because I just, you know, I have a vision. I could draw it. I've ha I had all these uh, wireframes made. We, we chose the wrong developer in the beginning, which was a huge uh, headache. Mm. And it ended up being the largest stress of my career so far. We ended up extracting our website from basically these crooks who, who um, built a, a bad version of uh, my vision and put it in the hands of beautiful, trustworthy, capable people around uh, the end of La uh, two years ago now, at the end, the end of 2019. Mm. And so by about, well, middle of last year, we had something we could put in front of people. Right. And we've been working with the same developers to tweak and make improvements. And hopefully, I think by Monday, we should have, you know, MVP 2.0, which means that we all have speed in there, mobile, mobile optimized. It's been a hugely long process, mm. about a year longer than I budgeted for. Um, but we have been very detail oriented and I have been, um, annoyingly de well, annoyingly on top of mm. the developers. Um, I, I've, I've learned that I don't think developers really like creative input all the time. Um, but that's 
just the nature of working with me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about there that. <laughs> but we now have something I'm proud of and that works and we can really launch the concept out there like mass scale. So this year I've got a lot of energy to go and get a lot of new artworks right. partners. 2021 in a storm. So what's the best way then to pick a tech uh, provider, coder, developer? Is it referrals or how do you find somebody you can trust? I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, I feel like my path was definitely complaining to enough people uh, and hearing what their solutions were until I came across, um, well, a great friend who listened to my story and said, you need fish. Hmm. And so I went out and got Vish. All right. Well, that, that's, uh, yeah, I think it's from an outsider, outside the tech world, right, as many mm. of us are, it's difficult to see where you need to go and find the right support because it's it's a very uh, fragmented industry, right? And yeah, I must say I did do a lot of research before um, I went ahead with the wrong people, which was a shame, but I have them in my back pocket. And I also am lucky enough to have two wonderful cousins in California who really know their stuff. Okay. So I am now kind of drawing on that, I guess, um, advisory pool when I make decisions. Mm. And I have since come across some other potential developers um in my back pocket should i need them so i feel like i'm uh, now in a much better position Got leveled up on your uh, it yeah and i knowledge. can't wait to get a cto <laughs> <laughs> anybody wants to be a cto yes, please you apply now yeah. um so red tea bubbles uh, was made for the inno- is innovation for the benefit of artists and art buyers where did that mission vision or drive come from I've always really, really cared about the artists. Mm. Um, I've hung out with so many artists. I enjoy their company. I consider, well, a lot of my friends are artists. And I've watched how the the industry doesn't always put them first. And not that uh, a gallery construct or anybody is intentionally not putting them first. There are just many layers to the uh, revenue streams that mean that what's left at the end of the day I think in many situations could be better mm-hmm. for the artist. And so with Red Tea Multiples, I was not going to build something that was purely going to be a um, a commercial endeavor that doesn't do any good. What's the point? Yep. And so I needed to think about how artists were going to uh, want to participate because of course this is a new a new way for them to put their artwork out there. It is saying, okay, here's a license for just this artwork for you to offer that to other people to crop up and, you know, see what they want, which is, is disruptive and, and I think incredibly exciting. Many artists think, think it's incredibly exciting. Some artists don't, that's totally fine. But for the artists that do, they need to be able to benefit out of that. And I love the idea of, well, I think everybody loves the idea of passive income, but I, I think that artists deserved to get, seriously involved in the royalty model which of course has been working in the music industry for years and so i brought in the mu- that royalty model into our print model hmm. and so for every print sold the artist gets royalty so they get the sale of an original and then they get this uh royalty payment for every time a print is sold and that keeps them happy but it also i think gives them uh, absolutely deserved value ongoing value in work that they've already created and my it's a very business word but i love the sort of leverage that comes from this mm. and the efficiency that comes from that and that's attractive i think and scalability for an artist right? exactly and what's your vision long term for this sort of platform where where can this grow i mean you have it all set up now you said 2.0 is there yep what is it just a matter of getting it more known and out there or do you have more 
ideas in your huge back pocket. Huge plans because mm-hmm. the technology is uh, a massive asset. So what we can do with the concept of here's an image, crop it up and create something unique, you can put that across many, many areas. So for hospitality, for example, we can create really, really efficient art concepts quickly and deliver them quickly, completely unique to a a property. But what we can also do is provide licensed artworks on those walls so that the ongoing experience is still there. And I think this is really important for the new world that we live in. So if you are a hotel and you've just opened and you're really proud of the art that you've got around you, maybe some of it's originals, maybe some of it's licensed originals and multiples have been taken from those originals and are throughout the rooms or the spa or the restaurants, the the visitor to the hotel or the digital visitor to the hotel website can actually look at the art collection and open any of the artworks in that exclusive collection and create their own prints from them should they want to live with them at home, create wedding invitations out of them, um, you know, beautiful mementos and reminders of their time there. The hotel can even create crops of that their guests have taken and give them you know, thank you for staying with us, little unique mm. um, fine art prints to take home. So you can continue to leverage what's already been done uh, with the artwork in your property. Uh, for the other ideas that we are con- currently exploring are with uh, groups like the Hong Kong Gallery Association. So that is a huge number of incredible galleries that all have a number of artists, some of which will be interested in this. Mm. So this is a way for us to go from 55 artworks to potentially, through our branded partners, 500, 5,000. And of course, I'm looking at other collections that can help us do that. So we become a one-stop shop for people interested in art from all over the world to be able to get a full piece as they love it or get creative and create something unique out of that piece. Mm. Now imagine if that was in museums. This is the end of the first part of our sixth episode with Thames and Newton. Stay tuned for the second part.